All right, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Codex West podcast. We are, I can't believe it, we are in week eight of our podcast. Um, so happy eight-week anniversary. I am uh, joined, as always, by my co-host, Mark Quivola and Johnny Paglino. Yeah. <laughs> and today we're going to be talking about something near and dear to my heart, which is uh, vanilla World of Warcraft, uh, specifically private servers. So um, I'm going to preface this whole thing with like a short glossary of terms so this is all <laughs> this is like the, the, glossary the glossary at the of beginning abuse. of the dissertation <laughs> you know what i mean just like really yeah you're thorough man yeah it's gonna it. be thorough. it's it's gonna be about as thorough as something like this could be something that like um, you, so there's something funny about like taking so much energy and so much focus on vanilla wow like i'm impressed i'm proud of you well, it's what I'm doing in my real life right now, so that makes it a lot easier. <laughs> it's what I'm spending almost all my time doing outside of work. So, um, so I'm gonna, like I said, I'm gonna preface this with a little glossary. Um, Vanilla WoW, which is what we're gonna be talking about, just refers to the base World of Warcraft game, the original game. So all the way up to version 1.12.1 before any expansions were released. Um, the legacy movement refers to the desire for fans of Vanilla WoW for Blizzard, the developer of World of Warcraft to officially re-release the game in a retail capacity. And then private server just means any non-Blizzard entity that hosts a vanilla World of Warcraft client um, through potentially illicit means. We're going to talk about the legality of, of it all later with Mark. Um, so I, I did some some research, and it's actually like kind of surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, nerds aren't really good archivists. Um, so all of this information is kind of like scattered across the internet um, on all kinds of like weird old wow forums and like old like github accounts so um this is a little bit piecemeal but basically the the whole story starts with a game called everquest um (laughs) (laughs) going going way back (laughs) like way way back so 1999 there's this game called everquest or no it, it was i think it was yeah no 1999 there's a game called everquest um, so even though attempts had been made before with stuff like Meridian 59 and Ultima, um, EverQuest was like the first really commercially successful MMORPG, um, and it laid the groundwork for the whole genre. Um, at its peak, I think it had about 450,000 players. That was in 2003. And EverQuest kind of questioned and then answered what was possible with online gaming communities during a time when multiplayer for computer games was almost exclusively just local. Um, and if, if that's, if the game had any multiplayer functionality at all, um, and it's like foundationally responsible for the subscription based model that all MMOs use today. Um, so it had, it had a crazy dedicated fan base, largely on account of the gameplay, which was apparently like addictive to the point that it was referred to as Evercrack. Um, and Everquest just, this is just random tidbit, but Jeff Kaplan, the guy who's like, uh, basically the lead on overwatch got his start by like running a guild on in everquest, EverQuest. That was, oh yeah yeah dude. that was really popular and like apparently he just sucked <laughs> 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 now everyone loves him because he's like super open about like the development of overwatch but back then he was just like this whiny whiny bitch oh my and god <laughs> anyway it just kind of made me think <laughs> yeah no, everquest is like everquest is how a lot of like blizzard people kind of got their start so that's not surprising. Wait, actually, a question is: uh, EverQuest is not Blizzard, right? No, it is not. But that's a lot, what it's I thought. Like, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of like where the the whole idea of like an MMO, like the possibility of an MMO also, being a successful private game model in comes general, from. 
EverQuest. Because uh, yeah. EverQuest night or Project nineteen ninety nine or whatever it's called, it was the like is like one of the most popular, uh, like vanilla yeah. experiences. But I'm sure you get to that. Um. So yeah. Anyway, d- despite that confluence of factors, the slavish devotion of its players and the, its sort of like legendary status as being the ultimate online RPG experience. Just, and this is just get, to give you an idea of like how important World of Warcraft is. After WoW got released, EverQuest got killed immediately. Like within a year, EverQuest was almost dead. That's World of Warcraft just completely usurped it. So, backtracking from that point, um, Blizzard Entertainment, a company that until that point had been focused almost exclusively on developing real-time strategy IPs, um, StarCraft and Warcraft, which I'm sure most people listening are at least like vaguely familiar with. Um, they recognize the potential for a the future of like game development, but b the profit margins that are promised by a long term subscription based game like EverQuest. Um, and they announced the development of an MMO based on the Warcraft IP in two thousand one. So that was that announcement. They didn't have a name for it. Um, they just announced that they were going to be releasing an MMO, um, and that was at the European Computer Trade Show. So it wasn't even like a big announcement. It was at this little. It's called ECTS. And it's like a little trade show in Europe. So. Now, getting into the actual history of private servers, um, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of what I'm about to say is apocryphal. Um, nobody's really put together like a cohesive historical account of vanilla private server history. So my research is just a complete pastiche of sources that I was able to find. You're crushing your vocabulary right now. I did my my like second grade words vocab words homework. Like, You're gonna hear it first. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> hysterical. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Give me a spelling test after I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so fast forward two years from that announcement to 2003, um, the game's in the final stages of alpha and it's still on title alpha for anybody who doesn't know is the stage in game testing before beta, which in turn is the stage of testing before like an actual commercial launch. So there's no commercial release date, no real details besides that single announcement at ECTS. Um, and during this alpha phase, uh, for the first time, Blizzard opened that testing to a small group of non-Blizzard employees. So this is the first time people that didn't work for Blizzard were playing the game. Um, also at this time, and th- this is where everything kind of starts getting interesting, um, there's a programmer named Skull who had an interest in acquiring that alpha for emulation purposes. So this is where things get kind of foggy. Skull apparently had plans to hack Blizzard um, with a small team, but for whatever reason wasn't able to do so. So he either bribed or somehow acquired a copy of Alpha from one of the testers. Um, And that single act is responsible for over a decade of what we now call legacy private server development. So after Skull gets his hands on this Alpha and announces it to the dev community, um, another figure in the emulation scene called Lax became interested, and he does something absolutely insane. So basically with no access to any information about how Blizzard servers are going to work, what the like, you know, the connectivity framework is going to look like, and only a couple of packet logs to deduce the kind of framework that would be used. Um, Lax creates a fully functional World of Warcraft sandbox that would be called Stormcraft. Um, and that's basically a shell that programmers would now begin to work on scripting, on ability interactions, NPC interactions, and every other detail that fills in a world of that size. Yeah, one dude. And if you haven't played it, Vanilla World of Warcraft is fucking huge. It's like, it's two giant continents, a bunch of islands, there's dozens of instance dungeons, there's capital cities with tons of vendors and NPCs, huge open spaces, mountains, there's airstrips. And that's just like, that's just the geographical scope of the game. It's not even accounting for like any of the gameplay. So 
this undertaking is absolutely insane. The fact that a single person figured it out should have been like near impossible. So Lax is kind of like a legend in the the, the whole history of this thing. And this is still before it's even in beta. And this is yeah, this is before WoW's even in beta. So now, which that was the interesting thing to me is that private server development wasn't. It wasn't like, hey, I want to play WoW for free. It was a way to get the alpha to people that weren't included in the testing people wanted to play this game so bad that they this guy you know spent (laughs) god knows how long you know figuring this whole thing out just so that people could like get into the shell of the game so now we're going to get even deeper into apocrypha after stormcraft sandbox the floodgates open so this whole project is open source and the major problem of a working client got solved by lax so now the challenge was getting a stable server with like working encounters um so during this like emulator renaissance blizzard was forced to announce world of warcraft in an official capacity because now people had hands on their game they had to basically say hey this isn't the real thing like the product that you're getting is going to look nothing like what we're building so this actually like the private server development actually pushed along the development of retail world of warcraft um, in more ways than one, which I'll get to in a second. Um, but Blizzard starts to crack down on these private servers where it can. Um, and this is where the legality is still really nebulous at this point in time. Yeah, um, just to let you know, like everything you've said is would be the hardest law school question in a copyright class that you could ever have. I mean, like all of this is incredibly, um, incredibly complex. And it's, it doesn't just come down to like, oh yeah you know you torrent something and then you know it's illegal or something like that right right it's like what you're talking about right now is an incredibly um uh dense fact pattern to try and analyze from a copyright perspective so we'll get to it later but everything you've said so far is completely banana sandwich okay cool i'm, I'm really excited to talk with the gal yeah. i'm excited to talk about all of this if you can't tell um <laughs> So in the beginning, the servers had, on top of Blizzard trying to get on their asses, they had these huge technical challenges. So um, just for a trivia stake and, and also to sort of like demonstrate how painstaking the developmental process was for these programmers, I'm just going to run through a few of the really, really early private servers. So the first one that was kind of like uh, a breakthrough in terms of interactivity was Rift. And this was developed by one guy in Visual Basic. And he was the first guy to have a, a functional chat system and people could log into and enter the world, but nobody could see each other. So that's like the level of, this is a level of like scripting and, and coding difficulty that we're seeing. Wait, is. are you, sorry, Rift, like the actual game Rift? Or that's no, 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 no. This, this is server. the name of the private server. Whoa, weird. Huh? Yeah. Okay. So then after Rift was Python, which was actually coded in C++, not Python at all. Um, oh, and they had a full team. And they built some, some scripts that are actually still in use today, um, as well as most of the GM commands that became standard for private server moderation. Um, and they had working items, mounts, combat, and time changes, but they could only successfully script two spells. So you could <laughs> play whatever you wanted, but only two spells worked. Um, and then the the one that kind of really busted things open and, and gave people real multiplayer connectivity the the first truly functional world of warcraft server was called chaos with a k um and that was the first emulator that featured multi-core servers so you could log in you could have different realm lists you had separate realm servers so the the thing that's present today for those of you who've never played world of warcraft when you log into world of warcraft you choose there's the you know you're logging into the world of warcraft server but you're there are separate realm servers so that you can distribute the population so that it's not, you know, 200,000 people on one server. Um, so it was 
almost fully functional, not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. It was still buggy as fuck, but um, it was the first private server that Blizzard actually took down when it started issuing the initial wave of cease and desist. Um, and so Chaos and another server called Vibe were compelled to give up some of their code for scripting and certain features that weren't available in alpha during the takedowns. And some of that is actually rumored to have made its way into the retail client. Because again, this is all happening before WoW's <laughs> That's even so released. dope though. That's great. Yeah. It's, it's all Mr. Robot and shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hacker man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So eventually the there was a forum that was used to like collect and disseminate code. Uh, anybody who's interested in programming is probably familiar with GitHub, which is like a um, like a big aggregate of all kinds of projects, like coding projects that people are working on. Um, and there was this was like a WoW exclusive GitHub called GotWoww. So even that like that collection of knowledge was eventually shut down by Blizzard. So somewhere in this time period, after all that's happened, Retail WoW was finally released, and the private server craze died down a little bit because people a people were afraid of the legal repercussions. And B, there was an actual working client. So the demand for private servers, which were still super buggy, had really bad latency issues, kind of ebbed. Um, keep in mind, during the alpha emulation part of this timeline, the biggest private servers were only capable of sustaining about like 200 players. And even that was considered like a huge technical milestone. Um, and their purpose was, like I said earlier, mostly just discovery and development rather than recreation. Nobody was trying to like play WoW for fun. They were trying to play WoW to figure out what the game was even going to look like. Um, so the biggest private server after WoW's release, which was like a recreational server, was called WoW Emu, and it was closed source. Um, but they had like almost a, a perfect working client. Um, but a rival server called Blizz Hackers uh, was basically working around the clock because WoWEMU was closed source, they were working to crack their code um, and then publicly release it. And eventually WoWEMU was just like, all right, well, fuck this. So they gave up. And then Blizz Hackers, after getting all of their source code, got cease and desisted almost immediately. Uh, of course they clarify <laughs> where we are in the timeline of the actual we're still, game? We're, we're still in 2004. So this is so just after the release of actual World of Warcraft. Uh, okay. Oh, okay. yeah. For some reason, I thought it was 2006. So okay, this so. this opens up this void where WoW Emu was kind of the gold standard of WoW emulation, and there was so much knowledge that was lost after that went down, after Got WoW went down, that it was sort of accepted by the community that the legacy private server movement was just dead. And just another another point if you can clarify, is this all just to so you could play the game for free at this point, something as the... After the release, forward. yes. So WoW Emu okay. was basically like, yeah, we want to play the game for free. Which is just to make a point, like, this is absolutely not the reason why people play private servers yeah. right now. It's no, not, yeah, not at all. Not, not yeah. at all. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, and we'll, we'll get into that in a second, too. So, like, like I was saying, it was kind of accepted at that point that Legacy was dead. Um, and the, the last breakthrough before sort of the dark age of WoW emulation was... Uh, this improved sandbox that even like inexperienced coders could use. So like, um, if you're familiar with like, what's the what's the thing that Mark Maron's always talking about? Squarespace. In the same way that like Squarespace makes web making a website really easy, this sandbox called Mangos did kind of the same thing. So that was sort of the last like gift of of WoW emulation. This sort of sandbox that made it way easier to play around with. But um, after that, retail WoW flourished. And then in 2007, Retail WoW released its first expansion called The Burning Crusade, which ended what we call Vanilla World of Warcraft. So this is when people, after Vanilla World of Warcraft was gone, 
the that content a lot of that content wasn't available the game was very different um, a lot of the content became easier through patches so sort of this unexpected thing happened where people over the years became disillusioned with the direction the retail world of warcraft was taking so after a few expansions but uh burning crusade by all accounts was like really one of the golden ages of world of warcraft it was all like it was amazing all the encounters were just as difficult as the original if not more so the scripting was way better there was you know the classes were more balanced um but after a few expansions each one of them kind of critically less well received and less popular than the ones before it the game was way wow just became a lot easier it became a lot more streamlined um than its previous iterations and i mean this is in my opinion, it's kind of like an honest effort by Blizzard to appeal to this wider consumer base and make some quality of life concessions. Because at the end of the day, Vanilla WoW was a really flawed game. There were super imbalanced classes, some of which were just borderline unplayable. So if you didn't know that going into the game, you could, you know, it was a thing that happened not uncommonly in Vanilla WoW was you would, you know, level your druid to the max level and then find out you couldn't fucking do anything because you were useless. So there's terrible itemization and specialization and things that just completely disqualified huge chunks of the game from being playable. Um, and it's easy to see why like a newer, younger player base who weren't accustomed to the the grind and the drudgery that, that made veterans fall in love with the game in the first place wouldn't be interested in. Um, and in, in uh, 2016, J. Allen Brack, the, the head production de- developer for Blizzard, kind of made the, the infamous, you think you do, but you don't statement at BlizzCon. Uh, in response to an audience member asking for legacy servers. Hmm. Um, But he was wrong. Um, A year prior to that statement, a small group of programmers released something that they had been developing for over five years. So this is a project that started in 2010 called Nostalrius Begins. Um, So Nostalrius was a perfectly functional, uh, they call them Blizz-like servers because the scripting was either identical to like original WoW, um, or improved from the original Wait, code. can I ask you a question? When you say scripting, yeah, like only because like, you know, I'm a humanities guy, not like a programming guy or math guy. Um, when you say scripting, what exactly are you talking about? What like what interaction is script- scripting? Like- scripting refers to. So in in, in an in-game encounter, say you're fighting a boss. Yeah. Scripting refers to the way that that encounter actually plays out. Oh, so perfect. I completely a, understand. Server... When you say scripting, that's like a reference to the actual term script. As in, like, what yeah, the progression yeah, yeah. of particular exactly, action. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. So, like, totally say on uh-huh. a poorly, just to give a quick example, on, a, like, a poorly scripted server, some mm-hmm. boss fights would be unplayable. Like, you would get to the boss, and then the boss would, like glitch through a wall and you couldn't kill it so you couldn't progress yeah the or, or that you would beat it in two seconds or something like that i mean right that exactly yeah often, the, some, yeah, some kind of like fatal exception or it just didn't even behave like the boss would like if you don't have um if you don't have any videos of like how an encounter would go precisely you just would yeah. have to rely on like collective memory of people trying to be like okay so how was this supposed to which is work. how most of this was done not not through yeah. video like through collective memory is like how a lot of this stuff was done that you'll you'll still see on dev forums people will ask like how was how did this item interaction work? what was the these people had to go back and figure out what like the proc chances were wait, on wait items uh, so I, that, this is actually never something i'm very interested in asking questions about so yeah is the idea that like some people went and played the game extensively and then mm-hmm. they then like based on you know rumor and gossip essentially tried to rebuild the game 
just like to try and emulate what they heard had happened? Or was it that there was no, actually no, no, no. some like no, these, are, these guys love the game? Yeah, so these guys. Have, it's not rumor. Oh no, no, no! no. Like, I, the, I, I understand. What you mean. I, I guess that I, I guess I'm being reductive. What I mean to say is that so, like they're they are rebuilding <coughs> the game from experience. It's not that they go in and test interactions between particular uh, like you know player movements and the game itself. Do you see what I mean? There is a difference between There's, playing it's the game both. extensive. There's okay. A lot of it so. is memory and a lot of it was trial and error. Okay. So there's, you know, so like say there's an item that has uh that has like a chance to have a cool effect on hit. So say it does like 50 extra damage per and has a chance to do 50 extra damage per hit. These guys had to go back in and figure out through people who remembered that information or had access to like archival wow data what that proc chance was okay so yeah, this sure. is these are they're trying to make the most faithful representation of what original world of warcraft oh, was so interesting. and yeah. i'm not an i'm not an engineer but from my really limited understanding um there's something there's like client server side um relationships so mm -hmm. it's like part of the game is being housed on a server and then you also are housing part of the game exactly that's what I correct hear. it's not unlike and, torrenting where you're sort yeah, of seeding and, the game while you're playing it and as you make an action, a data packet from the computer is being sent to the server, Correct. and the server is sending one back. And then and, what you do um, is you try what to they have all they have all they have of the original game is what you were able to download, right? And keep on your computer, not the Everything interactions else. between server and client, right? So anything that you know, they didn't have to rebuild all of the assets or whatever was the on models that or anything like on, that. No. Yeah, but um, basically, I. I think there was some way they were able to look at the data packets, but I'm not sure. I don't want to. They had, like I said, Lax built it from. They had access to very, very, very few packets, but he built uh, the whole. He built that Stormcraft sandbox on the back of that little information that he had. He extrapolated from that how other interactions might work, and then based his scripting on that, which ended up being very close to. Blizzard. But that's a very different project. Oh, but I thought that was the sandbox. That was that is the sandbox. Yeah. So that a sandbox would work a lot different than like trying to than an actual recreate. Client. Yeah. Correct. And so that's yeah. like a whole. There's a lot of basically the point is there's a, there's you don't have to recreate the game from the ground up like you're gonna have no you just have to the recreate game, the interactions of the game exactly. which is incredible yeah. Wait, wait, I just yeah. gotta it's say still, that that's it's like, still there's that's not so to undermine that as like yeah. a technical mm -hmm. achievement that's that's yeah. amazing but yeah go on. But it's also, I think, probably going to be important in some way when we look at the legal picture because it's not like it's not like they're really stealing a lot of like the assets because that's, that's like, like just like so you know that doesn't have like a whole lot to do with the issue. Do you know what I mean? Oh, that's yeah. that's awesome. Then <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, cool. Sure. It we'll, becomes even more interesting to me. We'll we'll get in that in just a sec. Um, totally. So back to Nestorius. Um, Nestorius was close to perfectly functional um and it was a private server and it smashed all of the previous records for private server playership um at its peak nestarius had over eight hundred thousand unique accounts registered uh, 150,000 active accounts and would regularly average between 13 and 15,000 active players per server while maintaining you know, almost perfect server stability near constant uptime and this is all on a super limited budget that's basically held afloat by just donations and servers hosted in france uh, by a company have, called OVH. Go ahead, Johnny. Do you have um? Do you have the like the numbers for what like uh, gamer population is now for retail? For retail, they haven't published yeah. those numbers since I think 2015. Um, after Warlords of Draenor, it's like uh, 
based on again they never they haven't released these numbers officially but based on like independent research and projections that people have done they they lost close to like 8 million players after they released warlords which was like generally regarded as the absolute worst wow expansion of all time so it's sort of understood that they've recovered from that um i think that they're like people are reporting like about 10 million active players again but 800,000 for a private server is not trivial by any stretch i mean that's if that's a tenth of your you know if that's a tenth of the unique accounts that you have on retail well that's a huge chunk of of unused like un unclaimed revenue basically so um nestorius was different than other emulators not just in scale but in mission um because these other emulators they were either for development or recreation just so you could play wow for free nestorius had the mission statement that they they wanted to bring to blizzard's attention just how much demand there was for legacy servers and and kind of get blizzard to coerce them into get building retail legacy servers um so to that end on top of their player stats they collected over two hundred thousand signatures petitioning for blizzard sanctioned legacy servers um in april 2016 so this is a year after nestorius's launch blizzard did take notice um, and promptly issued a cease and desist to both OVH, the server hosting company, and the founders of Nostalrius, um, threatening to take them to court for specifically for copyright infringement. Duh, duh. <laughs> Sorry, so, big time duh out of me right there. Yeah. <laughs> in, uh, in May of 2016, um, the development team for Nostalrius met with Blizzard executives, including Jay Allen Brack, the guy I mentioned earlier who you know made the you think you do, but you don't statement. Um, to see if some common ground could be met. Um, and it was, although not necessarily in the way that one would hope. As it turns out, Blizzard actually really did want to preserve and maintain that, that sort of pivotal part of gaming history that is vanilla World of Warcraft. Um, and more importantly, they wanted to do it right. But even for a publisher of the size of Blizzard and with the sheer amount of resources that they have, there, are, there were some serious technical issues that weren't immediately apparent on the smaller scale of a private server. So if Blizzard wanted to deliver that true vanilla WoW experience, they didn't want to do it with the sort of trial and error, you know, piecemeal method that private servers had been for the last decade and a half. They wanted it to be a premium experience that any of the catastrophic bugs that had plagued the emulators. So even in spite of the emulator's technical accomplishments, there were still people who just lost accounts randomly. There were game-breaking bugs, exploits and boss fights, bot detection issues that led to some servers having a population that was, you know, half Chinese gold farmers and half real players. <laughs> um, so in re- related to that, this is a direct quote from Viper, the, proje- the project manager mm-hmm. and the administrator of Nostalrius uh, in regards to this, the issues that Blizzard stated that they had. Um, in order to generate the server and the client, a complex build system is being used. It is not just about generating the wow.exe and server.exe files. The build process takes data, models, maps, etc. created by Blizzard and also generates client and server specific files. The client only has the information it needs and the server only has the information that it needs. This is going back to what Johnny was saying earlier. This means that before relaunching Vanilla Realms, all of the data needed for the build processes has to be gathered in one place with the code. Um, not all of this information was under a version control system, and in the end, whichever of these parts were lost at any point, they will have to be recreated. Um, so, in other words, over the years, Blizzard had lost all of the, the critical components of World of Warcraft. The antiquated server blades that they used had been auctioned off. The proprietary models and the scripting that had been sort of hastily patchworked together for a timely release. The things that made Vanilla WoW suck, basically, were also inextricably linked to the things that made it great. 
the mm-hmm. the band-aids that bound the game together had fallen off and one was a, a boo-boo at some point in time had basically become gangrenous so in it in layers of metaphors usually metaphors. just say it was spaghetti code and move yeah, on yeah, but yeah, you, you really got into it so Nistarius uh, forked over their code in the hopes that it would help repair what Blizzard had lost and then pass that legacy of the private server legacy over to another project called Elysium. So Nistarius is gone now. Um, and this is, again, in May of 2016. So Elysium's partnership with Nistarius ended about as quickly as it started. Um, they had inherited a huge portion of Nistarius's code and their player base, although Elysium claims that they use their own like proprietary Mango-spaced code that sandbox that I was talking about earlier, um, the the project Elysium developed a really bad reputation very quickly. Um, while Nestorius had always had the goal of getting Blizzard on board with vanilla servers, Elysium was very clearly much more oriented around the perpetuation of those servers as a means of generating income for its developers through sometimes nefarious and exploitative means. They were basically hijacking the legacy movement from one of fandom and appreciation to just piracy. So several server admins were suspected of leeching off the top of donations, and once it was confirmed, they were booted, and I'm using air quotes here, from the project, Mm -hmm. only to come back with just different names or handles. Um, And this happened over and over and over again throughout Elysium's history. Um, The PayPal and the GitHub account were both managed by one person, which made removing the corruption basically impossible without just bombing the project. And furthermore, Elysium experienced frequent technical issues including crashes which the administrators blamed on a data leak in mangos and only like vaguely addressed um but they're they ended up being completely correctable issues so only a few months after announcing the partnership uh nostarius basically disowned elysium and encouraged their player base to leave to minimal effect because at the end of the day people just wanted to play and they didn't really care where they were getting their fix from um, so that brings us to now, or two weeks ago, uh, almost <laughs> to the day. Um, and this is <laughs> this is also around the time that I started playing on on Elysium. So uh, this is about two weeks after I start playing, um, and two weeks ago. So you know, four weeks ago I started playing. Two weeks after that, having grown tired of the the kind of corruption bullshit, uh, one of the only developers with root access to Elysium database. Um, his name was White Kidney, staged kind of uh, a coup, basically. Um, and with no warning, the Elysium servers went down, disconnecting about 10,000 confused players. Um, visiting the Elysium website brought up this plain text page that explained that two individuals, uh, Kragi and Shinna, had not only been stealing donations, but had systematically established this gold farming operation, and they were duplicating and selling high-level characters to profit from the server. Um, they tried to defend themselves. Kragi was saying that the, the gold farming operation was solely to support the server and that he didn't take any money um, because the server didn't receive sufficient donations to pay for upkeep, but they were stealing from the donations. This is like political uh, <laughs> intrigue. You're telling me like yeah. the house of cards of Vanilla WoW right now. That's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. This is this is all drama of the highest order. Yeah, of course. Um and then Shinna like accused the community of hypocrisy, and she was saying that she had uh, stolen from the donations. And this is like, you know, she had stolen three or four grand at this point from the donations to pay for her father's hospital bills, which uh, turns out is code for vacationing in Montenegro. <laughs> uh, so on top of outing these corrupt administrators, um, White Kidney also deleted the entire Elysium database, which left them with only like months old. So all of that player data 
gone. And then he migrated all of that data to another project called Lights Hope, which is now the de facto, like, that's the private server that you play on now if you want to play Vanilla World of Warcraft. Um, with the stated goal of rekindling what had made Nistarius great, kind of reaffirming their mission statement of convincing Blizzard that there was real demand for the legacy movement. Um, and finally, now to today, um, or you know, just a couple days ago at the time of recording, um, it looks like they've succeeded because just a few days ago at BlizzCon, Jay Allen Brack, again, the very person that had told these fans of Vanilla that they didn't want what they thought they wanted, um, announced that Blizzard had officially discovered a way to relaunch Vanilla World of Warcraft and would be building legacy servers with a totally new development team. Um, so while there's no projected start date, Blizzard historically doesn't really fall flat on these kind of promises. Um, so it looks like after 14 years of, of attempting to keep this thing alive, the legacy movement has finally done uh, the impossible, basically. So uh, I'm going to kind of open the floor to you guys and take a little bit of a break from talk talking. <laughs> wow. No, you really, you told a great story, didn't you? I mean, it was awesome. Like that's, that's very interesting. Now, what I would say is that when I get into the legal aspect, it's going to kind of like, it's going to, we're going to get deep into it because this is a really complicated issue. So Johnny, if you have yeah. something to say about like specifically the kind of like gaming media aspect, yeah, of it, I could, why not say that now totally. so that I, then I'll get into my shit. I was like gonna recommend the same thing. Okay, perfect. Because I feel like the legal is gonna like go into like a crazy different yeah, it really it, it really is. About. It's gonna go down other rounds, you know. I'm gonna all right. So, a few things. One, um, I when Jacob and I were first talking about this, Jacob wasn't thinking that it was that Blizzard wasn't doing this, um, announcing the classic servers because of bringing people in. But I am surprised they announce they make this announcement the day of their earnings report, and um, they like the the stock rose like I think thirteen percent or something. Like they also announced the new retail expansion. Expansion. Oh no, no. But it was still the fact that it wasn't something that they were hiding. And usually, yeah, if it's totally. like not if it's like it, it, some sort of news. If, if they didn't think company, it was going to be commercially yeah. viable, they would announce it on their earnings report. Yeah, they would use they would strategize its announcement in a different way. But the fact that they announced it along with the package of their other announcements, like um, signifies to me that they're looking at things like RuneScape, where RuneScape when oh, RuneScape a, did yeah. its original vanilla servers when they released them. That's <laughs> yeah, like as ridiculous as that game is, like that company makes money because of their vanilla servers. And EverQuest, I don't know who the publisher is or the developers, but they kept a lot of goodwill with their players, even though it's not EverQuest like a, is still alive, super, yeah. Yeah, it's still alive. They kept a lot of goodwill when they had good relationships with the private server because they didn't actually cease and desist them. They came up with like an agreement with the people running the private server that it was going to be okay. Um, and that kept a lot of goodwill with fans, I guess. Um so I think there's a part of it where they, they do see this as being a legitimate money maker. They're hiring an entirely separate development team to do this. Yep. Um, but I mean, is, in, in, their pub, in the public statement that J. Allen Brack made, he also, or maybe not the public statement, but in the interviews, he said that he like anticipated uh, a lot of people coming for the nostalgia and then basically immediately leaving. This I think that's a good point to bring up because what I, I have a couple things I want to say just about like what what the constant like what this whole problem has what it says about like the ontology of a video game is that 
whatever vanilla WoW was, it is a completely different experience than what it is now. Infinitely, and yeah. And it's it's they're almost just like at opposite ends because when Jacob was talking about quality of life, we're talking about things that like really transform a game into a hard multiplayer game into a soft multiplayer, mostly single player experience game. Um, one part that characterizes Vanilla WoW is that there was no matchmaking system. So like, let's say you want to go into an encounter. Um, usually how games work now, all the MMOs do this now. It's like, if you don't necessarily have to have any friends to play a multiplayer game. Mm-hmm. Because if you want to go into a, an, uh, an encounter you or an instance... You just queue up in the group finder or whatever. Yeah, and so like the game will find... And it will be across realms. So, so why no this seems like it has... So server you're on, you, 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 still, you will always be able to find a group. Which, on paper, sounds good. It's well, I think in a way it is because of um, just convenience. Like, yeah, I know it was definitely convenience based. Yeah, um, but Vanilla WoW did not have any of that, um, and you couldn't play with people across servers, which meant like the server that you were locked into, you had a reputation. Yep, and it, you you could easily sabotage your own reputation. And the game, because of the difficulty of the game, you, it, at times you were sort of like incentivized to really dick people over because you didn't know when you were going to have an opportunity to, you know, say there's like a rare loot drop and you just spent an hour trying to find a group to get this to get this rare loot and somebody else rolls on it and you really need it, you can just take it and then leave the group. But people will then, in return, they will... <laughs> spam your name in world chat saying like hey don't ever group with this guy and people will remember that (laughs) yeah and if like you could really like get yourself like screwed that you've spent all this time and now no one wants to be on your team but like this was sort of the appeal to people is like uh the fact that what you do matters yeah and that is like a design choice that you see in like single player games right now a lot like something like a life is strange or like you know presumably fallout even though i would disagree where you know, you're given choices, and the choices that you make end up mattering to, like, the yeah. final game. But, like, this is, like, the most, like... Hardcore le- implementation. It, yeah, it's not contrived whatsoever, because it's, like, literally your reputation online. Um, that gives people a sense of community and a sense that what they're doing is a real adventure. This is also because the leveling experience in WoW, um, in the vanilla WoW, had a very different design outlook than it does now. Right now, if you wanted to get... And like the live version of WoW, if you wanted to get to like level whatever it is, a hundred or whatever, it would take yeah. hundred ten. Yeah, it you know generally you can do it in about a week. Um, in vanilla WoW, like so many people just stopped playing before they hit max level. Yeah, because it, it was would like take an about adventure. a week in terms of hours played. Like yeah. a professional, somebody <laughs> who literally, who literally really levels funny. characters up for a living would have. Hold on, what is you know what's a week's worth of hours? Hold on, just to put this in. Are you saying that this is what is required if you're playing Vanilla WoW? If you if you just yeah, this is Vanilla. If yeah, you yeah, just yeah. wanted to have a max level character, not getting that character geared, not leveling your professions, nothing else, just bare bones a level 60 character. Okay. The people who level those characters for a living are playing minimum 168 hours. Wow. The world record, the world record for like fastest 60 is 96 hours what that's incredible that's the fastest possible you can do it of play of of active time played 96 hours minimum that's the 96 hour speed run 
Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And it's incredible. like a grueling leveling. It's not just like grinding like uh, mindlessly. Like there's so many times you die. On yeah, the you way have, it's because... like mindful playing you can't just a lot of it comes down to to play two now yeah exactly yeah you You have have to to play play. like it was you would lose a lot of xp by grouping up with other people to level but like it made so much more sense because the way that the um when you like went to attack an enemy if you like ended up attacking more than one you would you're like almost definitely gonna die yeah and so you have to be very strategic and you're not always playing with your friends so there's a part where i think that was like something they were getting a lot of they realized people weren't getting to the end game, which is when yeah. you hit max level, and it has a thriving end game. Like that's like the point that's the whole in a lot of ways. Of, yeah, that's the but, end game is the beautiful part that everybody remembers, and that's why people that's why people want to play World of Warcraft is because they remember going to you know Molten Core and killing you know giant dragons, not because they remember like dying to a group of Murlocs that spawned on top. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> and and like if you're a developer and you're spending all because like let's say um the reason why games uh like these um mmos they have subscription services is because you the subscription means that i'm paying you 15 dollars a month because i expect you to create content correct yeah well so um during these expansions like an expansion will come out it'll have a lot of content but on top of that there are patches where more dungeons or encounters they're added uh this happened with vanilla just like any other mmo yep. but Imagine if like your 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 leveling process to get to that content and the reason why you're asking people to spend money every month on top of buying the base game, you, there's they can't even get through the leveling process, so they're not even like being able to access the new content that you're putting out. Mm-hmm. Um, that will leads that will lead you into like a business position where you're like, okay, I need to. Game's got to be a little make easier. this game easier. <laughs> it's got to be a little yeah. easier. Right. It's got to be a little easier. But so like it it like Jacob was saying earlier, it just makes total sense why the yeah, game. Yeah, I definitely this way. am not criticizing Blizzard for like the design choices they made because they're just responding to a market. Like, it's not people love Vanilla World of Warcraft, but what Jalen Breck said is, you know, in my opinion, I think it's at least partially true. You you go back to Vanilla World of Warcraft because you have these really fond memories of you you built this you know you were part of this huge community you you were friends with people on the server you know you made friends while you were running dungeons you have all these experiences that are like tied to for me like my 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 youth my you know like i think i started playing world of warcraft when i was 12 and i'm 23 now and it you know you have all these memories and you can't help but look back at vanilla world of warcraft with with rose tinted glasses but you know it's not (laughs) even playing it now it's much more obvious to me what the sort of glaring flaws of the game were it's not you know the game wasn't hard because i was like 12 and i didn't really know what i was doing the game was hard because it was fucking hard yeah and it's also like yeah it's hard but you were also 12 like i remember how long it took me like playing zelda ocarina of time by myself to like you know pass through particular milestones of the game yeah yeah right and so there's something to be said for the fact that like the nostalgia that you're feeling when you go and you play is that like yeah, the game may have been hard, but you're trying to like go back and get to this particular place in your memory. Right? Yeah, and, and it's I think you know, that's that so true. Like that's why you play like um. So, I've played. You know, it's it's funny the games that I play. I play a couple of times, right? So, do you, or Jacob, mm-hmm. do you know Monkey Island, that Lucas Arts game? That was that LucasArts. I don't think so. Oh my god! No, dude, this is an obscure game. This is, is no, it's <laughs> actually not that. You know what's so funny? Shouts out to Trello. So Trello, which is this, uh, you know, uh, I guess like 
web organizer that we have used in the past for our game. Okay, Trello, when you go and you try to sign in, the whole, the fake email address that they have in the bar is a, me- a reference to Monkey Island. That's fucking Isn't hilarious. that hysterical? I mean, it's like yeah, a hardcore reference. It's like guybrush at threepwood.com, which is like clearly a reference. I mean, it is like so. It's it, That's the guy's name. Literally, uh, clearly. It it's clearly a reference. It's clearly a reference. I mean, yeah. Either way, the idea, all I wanted to point out with this was that I've played that game, I don't know, countless times, honestly. One, like, you know, number three out of the series of six games, I've played, I, I legitimately do not know how many times, right? So yeah. the reason I go back and I play something where I know all the answers is because not just nostalgia, but it's like the same thing about the way I rewatch movies. Similarly, if you want to go back and you want to play that style of game, right? You know, you go and you play Mm -hmm. WoW now and it's a completely different experience, as Johnny was saying. It's like a completely different game than it was back then, right? Yeah, and you want to go back to what you And you want to go back to it. So it's like, yeah, it's still the same. And not just that, but even in the base World of Warcraft game, it was almost impossible to do everything. So playing it now, I mean, I've invested thousands of hours in in World of Warcraft. (laughs) And playing it now, like going back to it now, there's still shit that I have never even touched. (laughs) Thousands. But... I also want to say that like this is even more complicated than just like a like a single person experience of nostalgia because yeah. it's not like what we're talking about with patches. There you know like some of those patches introduce fixes to the game. This is like the most like uh, least controversial way of thinking about how what game state do you want to yeah. get back to, right? Because you could think of it like okay, um we all want to play vanilla wow right but like obviously we don't want this like game breaking bug to be in there that got developed yeah yeah but in that patch there would also be things that like you may consider game breaking that your friend doesn't consider game breaking like so if uh we want to rebalance the classes a little bit and get um you know the numbers more fair more balanced yeah or fair Yeah. yeah um someone you know that played a certain overpowered class before that patch will probably be upset because yeah, because they're cursed. Yeah, because he's. But right. really, they just got. And there's out. <laughs> there's lots of patches though, and so there has to be some agreement at the first level. It's like vanilla WoW doesn't represent one entity. It represents a timeline of no. Because the game started in it one point version one point two. That was the the official retail release, and it ended. Vanilla World of Warcraft ended at one point twelve point one. So you have yeah. dozens and dozens of releases because it's you know there's decimals in between each number. So you have yeah. dozens of releases that represent accumulated And these are change, just like varying fixes, expansions. Class right? changes, yeah, okay, profession totally. changes. Yeah. Yeah. And okay, so because of this... They are like mini this, expansions, basically. So, no, I get it. And yeah, like, sure. imagine if you're not... like The majority of people wouldn't have played through all those patches in the first place. Right? No, so there yeah. has to be... There's a sense in which... I just imagine... like I, I think this is such a potent like um, phenomenon because it sort of... It's like what folklore in video games is like, as opposed to like oh, storytelling. Oh, there's myth- the the mythol the individual like player mythology of World of Warcraft is insane. Yeah, and that would even be like on another level. That would be like almost like happening above just what I'm considering. Like when we like try and retell our experiences, and wow, that it's not even that they just ex- it existed in one point of time, but existed in one point of time to one perspective, where right. like, all these others perspectives were happening and there's so many different opinions of it's just like it the fact that people are trying to recreate it too 
and there's no like save state of what the no, game was at no, any like, point in time. It's just, yeah, people are just always constantly going to have to be going off of memory mm-hmm. and making forming these can like forming consensus constantly. Um, and it doesn't even bring the question into mind like, should we make the XP faster? Should we do things that were stupid, like you have to, you know, use an item to like get your mana back every time you? Yeah, you have put, to like, there, buy there's ammunition this one thing, every time you want to go. There's do this anything. one class that like had to just put their buff on every single different person in the group, and it that was basically their only job in a raid. Yeah, paladin. It's whereas like in a normal thing now, like okay, why don't we make this more interesting by the fact that you can just put that buff on everyone right away because there are already other classes in the game where their buff is group wide and yep. like, clearly wasn't seen as like a balanced choice it was just wow we actually that's how we made the game so (laughs) there's always going to be this consideration of should we implement some quality of life changes obviously not dramatic ones but some and then at that point we're just in a almost like an ethical realm of like how is this true to the original vision like can we in good faith like make these changes if it's not really what people want if what people want is a genuine world of warcraft experience then you kind of have to include all the shitty parts too. Yeah, you're going to have to make decisions. Like you can't there's not there's not just one point in time you can go back to and be like, "Okay, well one it doesn't exist this anyway, is the but right two, one. The, Yeah, there's no so there's going to be this huge This is why I understand why like Blizzard just on this level. There's a, a bunch of other levels, I'm sure even legal considerations that we'll get into, but I understand why they didn't want to touch it because I think you have that's to make it. decisions yeah, that are going to offend yeah, yeah, yeah. most yeah. people. Yeah, I yeah for sure. You're going to, and it, so I, I, I think it's fascinating, especially since the game represents a completely different, like philosophy on the experience. Of it's what a total emotion. Like people. looking back on it, it's like a, a snapshot of a period in gaming history, rather than like anything that's reflective of how games are designed now. Yeah, so you're, especially you're, you're playing, you know, a, a still image of of like what used to be. And in the same space, like MMOs are nowhere near as popular as what they once were. So it's, I think it's really admirable they're doing this because it's almost, it's just gonna cause so much shit. Yeah. And Not- who knows for the re? I they I think they I I I don't have like a ton of evidence, but what I think the fact that how they announced it makes it seem like they're doing this because they think it's gonna bring people in, and also because what we were talking, Jacob and I have talked about this. Um, wait hold on yeah, real quick when, i just want to ask are you saying that like the reason that uh blizzard is now putting out their own vanilla server is because is that where you're getting at is that it, like is because they're, um like, they well one they, on the in interviews they've like said that? they've they found a way well in in interviews they've said the reason why they finally were able to announce it is they figured out a trick in their servers to be able to host both games at once that's um right I, it could be, be the case of these. Yeah, You'd these games really, are like yeah. The the it's, like Johnny was saying. Oh, like, because and, they're not trying. Like earlier, the, I, the game was really spaghetti. I mean, it was yeah, like yeah. it was some duct tape together. You know, duct tape and WD forty. Yeah. Like, let's hope this shit works. I mean, they were fixing it constantly, but and and also like I said earlier, the actual physical assets of the game, the servers that they were designed to work on, Blizzard is no longer in possession of. Them. Of course, but so the, like, but the thing there's like a, is, even like the a whole, physicality yeah. that's missing. Well, the, to the, game. the whole yeah. thing is, I that think they, they sold it off as like collector's items. And, yeah, and, and not just that. What <laughs> yeah. I'm saying is that like Blizzard, as a company, currently has some amount of server space, right? 
and some of it is used for like backup and some of it is used for um like emergencies right there's a but the mm-hmm. idea is that the amount of server that blizzard has access to is generally maxed out in a, like what before they're opening vanilla wow the idea is they're saying that okay yeah but the whole point is we have enough server for what we need including backups and including fail safes and et well cetera, it's not just enough it's server. not just space it's, though no, 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 like i'm just actual... i'm just using uh, trust me i'm just using like broad terms i'm trying to describe like okay. what's going on here right like functionally not that i'm using correct terminology i'm saying that like they found a way of optimizing their system to the point where they could fit vanilla wow into it without having to massively change their server infrastructure or something like that i think yeah i think that's fair. yeah I, this yeah, is yeah, me yeah, as like someone I, I don't, who's none of us are experts on this yeah but yeah i'm just trying to understand um, i think that covers it with the yeah so but also what we were going to talk why like it's interesting i think is um what we were talking about with how you pay subscription mm-hmm. um vanilla wow it uh, while we're still talking about how there were patches it does still there is a sense in which it is one entity and that like they're not going to create new content like new dungeons right. for they're just going to release it on a timeline uh, or presumably. maybe they do presumably yeah. we don't know this is another yeah just, they may go that, that, kind of that would actually be an in cataclysm decision. they already oh did God. that they they already released an expansion where they they revisited vanilla content updated for max level players. Which oh, see, that's not even exactly so what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like imagine they, they made would... an expansion to the vanilla WoW. Like imagine that they they did like an alternate. I know that they kept adding things to vanilla. Oh, WoW. like an alternate universe vanilla. Yeah. I'm legitimately just like in, like I thought. Well, that's that idea. That's like a crazy way that you. Yeah, can I use wonder. This it's system. we don't know if. They could do that. That's yeah, a, yeah, we don't know possible. because what? because if they only have if they only ever release content that um, was, has already been released that already exactly then you it's going to be completely ethically dubious if they charge you a subscription because the whole idea of a subscription that is being said though the original Vanilla WoW timeline is three years long before the first expansion so it's not like they don't but, have time to figure it out yeah but they also could ju- that's another just consideration are they going to just release all the content because it's already in a way made or are this pat are they going to really try and make the patches on the same timeline which is also like a pre any pre-balance like it's just such yeah, a cluster it's just of, speculation at this point yeah and, and I, how are you going to have we'll people have pay for it because so, even if it was like only for i think like, people three are years, willing like, to pay for the experience of i mean that's like one are. of the one of the common the, things of like one of the common themes of uh, that you see over and over again in private server history is people like begging to for these pe- these private servers to charge a monthly subscription fee so that they can support the server through through something less like inconsistent than donations. So what I would love to do is I would love to use this as the exact opportunity to kind of like transition into what I have to say about this. Yeah, subject. let's get let's get yeah, it. Yeah, because I think um, I think what you're talking about right there about everyone. Yeah, there's like a whole community of people that are willing to pay for this experience, this nostalgic experience, Mm -hmm. okay? Now, the whole reason that Blizzard hasn't made old versions of WoW constantly available the whole time is because they need to sell the expansion, right? And the idea is that every that every time that they expand WoW, what's going on is that they're trying to sell a new product, right? It just right, so happens totally. to be like branded in a particular way. It fits into this series of gameplay, right? 
But the idea right, right. is that they need to sell a new product. Okay. So then making that product has its own expenses, obviously. I'm not trying to be reductive. I'm just trying to, like, you know, like, put it simply. You're setting the stage. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm trying to put it simply. That, like, um, the reason that Blizzard had not done this before was because it just didn't make economic sense. So often, the actions of corporations, like, we start um, as kind of the audience of a corporate action, we start to try and project kind of like a more human thought, which is like, they don't like yeah. us. They don't want to do that. And you're like, <laughs> like, what? That's a completely ridiculous thing, dude. It's literally the second that the dollar goes from red to black, they'll do it. Do you yeah. know? I mean, that's just like incredibly totally. simple, right? So the idea is that to build this community that now plays vanilla. Wow. Okay. Now plays vanilla. Wow. Um, <laughs> but the the thing is that community is built over time okay now they are convinced that they can actually exploit that opportunity because they've gone back and they've tried to build their servers as uh true to their the nostalgia as possible all these things okay but they have also recognized like the reason they let it go for so long before they started intervening was because of just that they were trying to make money on what they were doing and the idea is stopping these kind of like small communities of gamers trying to play these, you know, backlog style games or something, right? That stuff didn't mean much to them until the amount of people playing that hit a critical mass, right? Once it, once the amount of people st that started playing it hit that point, that's when Blizzard made the decision that they were going to start exploiting it for like monetary game. Because here's the thing. If you want to go and you want like Blizzard is going to start a vanilla WoW server, right mm -hmm. and you'll probably have to pay something different to be able to have access to that unless you have like you know the premium ultra platinum set do you know what i mean like you know because the way that's just subscriptions work but yeah um what i mean to get out here is that and i want to move into this specifically imagine if they did a founder's pack for <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i mean it's like what i really want to get out here is the um is the issue of like, dude, you go back and you try and rebuild a game that you played in your past that's no longer available, right? That's like kind of an outrageous uh, artistic concept in a certain way, right? To go back and build something. But the idea is that like in the modern economy, when we're talking about video games in particular, right? Um, video games actually fall into like a really gray area of copyright law and transition, right? Mm -hmm. So video games, and when I say like gray area, what I mean to say is that it's still developing. Um, and there gotcha. isn't... So it's like sort of unexplored territory. Uh, yeah, for sure. Particularly because video games incorporate so many different aspects of copyright law. Because under the Copyright mm -hmm. Act, specifically... These are the, so there are, um, what is it, like 10 things that are covered by the Copyright Act. It is literary works, music, dramatic arts, in other words, scripts, pantomimes and choreo choreography, so dance, right? <laughs> pictorial, graphic, and sculptural works, which refer to, the, you know, exactly what they say, pictorial, graphic, and sculptural works, audiovisual works, sound recordings, and then 
art architectural works and compilations. Now, what I wanted to point out so wait, here, so Mark, Mark, you can be all of those. No, well, but you can become a pantomime lawyer. <laughs> is that what you're telling me that you gave you it all up to not be a pantomime lawyer? What's funny is that, like, Jeez. yeah, I guess you could, and maybe you're right. Maybe I should just, uh, I should I just be should. a mime lawyer. You know what I mean? Like, how do those people represent we need them now themselves more than ever, if they man. don't talk? You know, yeah, like, I bet it's really easy to maintain uh, attorney-client privilege when your client can't speak. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. <laughs> I'm in a box of attorney-client privilege. But so the idea, this is what's fucked bad. up. So I just I just said that list, okay? And mm-hmm. I, you know what you didn't hear? Software. Why? Because software Whoa. is considered literary work. Charles Dickens and Google Chrome are the same thing under copyright law. I'm dead ass serious. And also just in general. And, and also just in general. But like the, the whole point is that the way that copyright law kind of absorbed software, because think about it like this. We have the copyright law, okay? We have the Copyright Act. It's a law. We would have to amend that law in order to protect software explicitly, right? And the truth of the yeah. matter is that software was developed, you know, when we say recently, we mean in the last, you know, 30 years, right? Where it became yeah. really like, well, 40 years, but it's been in the last yeah, 40 sure, years like personal computer where it's really. just fucking impossible to change a law. Do you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. so much politics yeah, totally. going on that the Copyright Act Especially goes by like the wayside. Of that scope. Right? Exactly. I mean, one of the most, and what is now one of the most important acts in the U.S. Code. But the idea is that um, the reason software is considered literary is because nobody had updated the Copyright Act to include software. And somebody said, hey, it doesn't say software in that list of things that's protected by copyright. Okay, and a judge had to say, "Well, I guess that it's a book." You know what I mean? Like, I mean, that's the whole way that this whole that, that this developed. Now, the reason I'm bringing that up is because when we talk about you trying to go back and rebuild some video game from the past through a reverse engineering process, okay, that doesn't obviously fit into the same like ontological copyright categories as does, you know, poems and, you know, music, for example, right? Yeah. They they just like don't fit to one another, okay? Would be would like the analogy be like a bunch of people coming together to try and rewrite the great expectations? <laughs> that that's hysterical, yeah. but the one that I thought with it that's a really funny way of putting it, but the way the simple analogy that I drew was that it's much more like a cover song. Okay? So the idea mm. is that, like, what, I mean that functionally, okay? Not what, what, is the intellectual property though different from like a, a, a whole gaming universe versus like uh, just a poem or a song? No, like, th- isn't there like the at like it? It just feels like there's such it's a weightier intellectual property. No, it doesn't exactly. Entire, uh, it doesn't even matter. How about this? It's like if you have a haiku, okay, then it's only three lines. Okay, and however many syllables, like seven five seven, is that what it is? I don't know. But so like you have a haiku. And the haiku has the same amount of copyright protection that World of Warcraft does. Okay? But the whole point 
is that there's only so much copyrightable material in a haiku. There's only three lines and however many syllables. You know what I mean? <laughs> wow is incredibly expansive. So the idea is that, like, right? I mean, that makes sense, right? Only <laughs> oh, so many syllables. <laughs> so many syllables. However many syllables. But the idea, that, all I'm trying to point out is that it's not that like a copyright, a copyright has more weight. It's that particular copyrights can encompass more data points, I guess you'd say, right? More content can be in a copyright, but that copyright means as much in a weight as the haiku, okay? Right, it's just, it feels like, um, you couldn't you like, I mean, like, if you copyright Mickey Mouse, that's like, you're copywriting the uh, likeness oh of him. So, or is that not even... Dude, I can spend an hour talking about why Mickey Mouse is copyrightable, even though it's not listed. It, oh, dude, I read you a list of what's listed. Does it say characters? It doesn't. True. I guess not. Right? And the reason that it doesn't... Well, how about this? The reason it doesn't say characters is because nobody can get together and reform the act because of politics, okay? So what ended up having to happen is that the judges had to essentially invent the concept of protecting characters in copyright, okay? Saying that, of course, if I write Sherlock Holmes, right? I don't just own that book of Sherlock Holmes. I own the character of Sherlock Holmes, okay? But then imagine that I keep making Sherlock Holmes books or Sherlock Holmes uh, movies. Essentially forever, I sell it to a company, they keep doing it, they keep doing it. So then they own the character in perpetuity. And guess what? Copyright, under the Constitution, the whole reason we have copyright is because it's constitutionally offered to Congress to be able to grant copyrights for a limited amount of time. So Mickey Mouse, for example, Disney is probably going to own Mickey Mouse forever, and that's unconstitutional. That's my very brief explanation <laughs> of what Johnny Chesha engaged me in, right? What the fuck? <laughs> but so, so what? How, bring that back to world. This like I'm, I'm about problem. to bring it back. Yeah, 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 for sure. So here's the idea: when we talk about World of Warcraft and we talk about people going and building um, these servers based on their own interactions with it, based on kind of like, you know, you go back to the game and then you try and rebuild in the code what occurs when you go and do whatever action, okay? Now, mm -hmm. there is a case from back in, um, I, wish I, knew, I wish I knew the year, but it is 1992, okay? It's Sega v. Accolade. Now, the idea is that this game development company back in 1992 went and tried to reverse engineer the Sega game console that was out at the time because Sega only licensed that information to game companies that they thought were, you know, viable for their device. In other words, if you want to make a game for our Sega console, you have to get a license from us, okay? So I build a console, and then what I try and what I try and do is control who can make games for the console itself. Okay. Mm. Now this company went and they bought. I think it was was it a Sega Genesis? Yeah, it was the Sega Genesis, right? They go, they buy a Sega Genesis, and they just take the whole thing apart and rebuild it 
and try and not not only reverse engineer the hardware, but then after that they start, you know, playing games and trying to figure out exactly how the underlying firmware of the Sega Genesis console interacts with cartridges that you put in, okay? The idea is this company then found out, oh shit, without them telling us this information, we can reverse engineer this, we can understand how to write a game for this console without their permission, they go and they write a game for it, okay? So they write a game, they release it saying, you can play this on Sega Genesis. And Sega claims that this is copyright infringement. Why? Because the idea is that like, they own the firmware on the Sega, right? And in order for them to go back and reverse engineer it, and in order to build this game, guess what they had to do? They had to copy a bunch of shit. I mean, when we say copyright, we mean it very simply. Like if you take, you know, obviously we don't use CDs anymore, but if you take a USB and you put it into your computer and you open a program on that USB, it copies it to your CPU, Yeah. right? That's a copyright issue. That's a copy. And the whole point is that like, if I own a copyright, I have the exclusive right to reproduce it. Okay. And so the, gotcha. and now what it comes down to in this, uh, in this scenario with Sega is that the court actually finds that reverse engineering, just the console in order to write your own game for the console. Okay is perfectly okay. That falls under fair use, huh. okay? And the whole point is that fair okay, use yeah. is a really amorphous idea, but the whole, but it falls under four factors. It's that it's you consider the purpose and character of the use, the nature of the copyrighted work, the amount and substantial like and so substantiality of the borrowed form and effect upon the work's value. Okay, so the idea was that the court ended up finding on those factors, okay, specifically the idea that, wait, they only copied your uh, console firmware in order to write their own expressive thing tailored to that console firmware. That's not copyright mm -hmm. infringement, right? Huh. The, uh, so now here's the issue. Guess what? Let's say that you wanted to rebuild WoW. Okay, and you want like this is before um, you had access to some sort of commercialized version of these old school uh, uh, wow you know systems. You yeah. could probably just go like change all of the aesthetics about the game and build it from scratch and be perfectly fine. Do you see what I'm saying? The reason yeah. that so, this is so problematic. Really quick, quick question. Yeah, quick question totally. before we get into this. In your Sega example, where it was. Mm -hmm. uh, perfectly kosher to just rewrite it as though it was for a different console would mm. the would it apply here all of these emulators that use different programming languages could you make a legal argument that a programming language is then like referring to that sega case dude you're you you're so argument? man that's such a good question and the answer is that like a change in programming language specifically just that change is not enough for it to be transformative to rise above the level of fair use. So the idea okay. is that if I had your poem and I did a translation of your poem, that's not uh -huh. enough for me to now own the translation of your poem. Claim it. 
Exactly. Totally reasonable. Does that make sense? So that's like, I think that there's like a very, you know, uh, so much of when we talk about copyright, you just need to like kind of put it in those very simple examples, right? So the difference between one code, like software code and another software code is the same exact thing as language. Because the whole point, and and I I guess that this is like a good point to, a good time to say this, um, that the legal definition of a copyrighted work is an original authorial expression fixed in a tangible medium. Okay. Okay. Now the, so I, in this case, the authorial expression would be the world of Warcraft and the tangible medium would be, I guess, literally game, like the, the fucking design. boxes that they're stored on or oh. like your computer. Right. Like, I mean, I'm literally yeah. talking about that kind of stuff because the idea is that that's when we say physical medium, we mean like it literally means the physical medium. Yeah. Like I can, huh. I can go and pick it up. Right. But the other, uh, the whole point of it is that we haven't invented anything that just travels in the fucking air. Do you know what I mean? So like when we yeah, said, yeah. when we said t- airplanes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can, hey, I can touch an airplane, <laughs> you know, but the idea is that like, um, a book has to be printed on paper and uh, a, you know, a game has to literally be on a computer for you to experience it. You have to tactile, you know, you have to touch it and have a kinetic experience with the expression itself. Right. That's what creates a That's really interesting. Yeah. It's there. And think about it. That definition doesn't fit our current understandings of what like software is. Right. Not at all. So then, and so I want to like just kind of finish my my spiel about the copyright aspects of this of this particular issue with the WoW servers. What's so incredible about it is that like um, the process of um, of reverse engineering has been explicitly protected by the courts. And relatively recently, as I said, this you know this uh, the the Sega case was from 1992. Right. So when, you know, within uh, the last 25 years. And the thing is that like reverse engineering is very important for the progression of like, you know, I guess you would call it the software arts. Right. Yeah. And so reverse engineering is a very important component of that expressive process. And the court recognized that very early and decided to protect it because what they were saying was that, hey, listen, if I just go and try to learn about your copyrighted, you know, or patented object, okay, I try to go learn about that just so I can tailor my own expression to the function of that object, then that's mm-hmm. obviously not copyright. I'm not copying the object. I am trying to understand the function of the object to go and project my own expression onto it's you know it's um i I guess it's creation like you know it's uh yeah like exactly i understand what you're saying yeah so the idea is that when you go and you just you know make this vanilla wow server the real problem comes to the fact that you're using the same characters right that it's the same storylines yeah yeah that it's the same what you're trying to do it's funny that that's that's where we're drawing the line in the sand and well because the idea oh and trust me i agree like what i can tell you dude is that this was a very exciting topic to me 
because it is incredibly complicated from a copyright perspective. Mm-hmm. It is it is a- a- honestly one of the most complicated factual issues that I've come across where I don't exactly know how to construct my argument, but I think right now the argument I, I am most confident in is that the reverse engineering process of the game is not protected only because they tried to create and emulate, literally in the word they use, they tried to emulate right, what right. was already protected. So if they just tried to build something that acted a lot like WoW, it might have been a different but scenario, quite, but wasn't yeah. exactly But it. they are trying to reproduce exactly World of Warcraft. Which is the issue. Huh. Yep. Okay, cool. It seems funny, too, because that game, like, that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, that is. Way. You know, it's like, what oh, is no, that no, no, but they, oh, the they still gone, own it. Just to, like... just to say, the uh, Blizzard still owns it. Whether or not they want, like, let's say I write a song and I don't show it to anybody ever. Okay? I literally don't let anyone hear it other than me. If somebody breaks into my computer, you know, hacks my computer and takes my song and then goes and reproduces it on themselves, okay? The idea is, like, it doesn't matter if I showed it to anybody or if I held it to myself. Similarly, World of Warcraft, just because they wanted to stop distributing it, that has no bearing on the fact that Blizzard still owns it. Well, it's more like it's just because it's changing. I guess my question was, do you think that, like, with every patch, every, like, with each iteration with, mm-hmm. at, yeah with when they release more content uh more storylines come do they have to get another copyright every time every like, so, just, like, Johnny, copyright so what i'll working. tell you is like when you say have to get another copyright so if you go and you write a song on your guitar alone in your room by yourself and you record it on your phone it doesn't matter you have a copyright in that you don't need to go register it to have a copyright in that song that you go and sing later tonight on your phone do you see what I'm saying? Oh, okay. So, it's just yeah. it's sort of given it. And so the, the idea is that like not only does it not matter that they continue to distribute this particular game, it also doesn't matter that like they keep making permeations of it. Because remember I talked about Sherlock Holmes earlier and characters. And you know a great example is James Bond, right? There were a bunch of James Bond books for, you know, decades. And then there were movies. That like right almost right after that, and then those movies are going on to this day. And the idea is that the studios who own the rights to James Bond probably have no interest in stopping making James Bond movies anytime soon, right? Unlikely. Uh, <laughs> unlikely, dude. I've seen. I mean, I love James Bond. I've seen every James Bond movie. <laughs> now we're getting into Bond. Yeah, I know we're getting into Bond. But the idea is that like the company that owns the rights to make new James Bond content owns James Bond. Hmm. Do you see what I'm the, saying? As a character. As, as a, a idea, character. Basically. And what I'll say again is if you listen to that list of things that I said earlier, literary, music, drama, choreography, pantomimes, pictorial, graphic, and sculptural works, etc. <laughs> none of that includes characters. Okay? Mm-hmm. But the whole point is that a character is part of a literary work. Software is a literary work. WoW itself, when we talk about WoW as an entity, that's the character that Blizzard owns. So it doesn't matter whether you go and you rewrite the underlying code for it. What you're trying to do is you're trying to emulate the thing that they own, which is the world yeah. of Warcraft. The world. Boom. Of Warcraft. That's my that's my that's my spiel. 
No, that was dope. <laughs> That's, uh, this was really cool in a lot of ways. I, I'm I'm pretty pretty happy with this. <laughs> I, I am too. You crushed it. I think this is going to be this is our longest our longest single segment yet. So you guys want to to tie it off here? Did you guys have anything more to say? No, no, we should go. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, we should definitely do. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, uh, anybody who's still there, thank you for listening. As always, um, you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Please uh, smash that motherfucking like button and subscribe. Twice at least. Twice. Sw- minimum twice. Right every day. <laughs> like, um, right on my podcast. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I think uh, next the next episode is going to be about uh, what's our politics? Oh, tax reform. We're doing tax reform. Yeah, tax reform. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna. I'm about, about to like, rip rip Khalifa, apart. So I just had no idea what was going on. Yeah, I'm about to rip apart that Republican tax plan. About to reform that <laughs> ass. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to rip apart that another shit. bottle of whiskey. <laughs> All right, homies. Well, uh, that's that's it for today. So uh, yeah, we will see you uh, on the next episode. Peace out. <laughs> Peace. Peace.